Good morning. Welcome, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. We're still in this big book of Isaiah, and here we are turning to another one of these explicit chapters here, where just more and more it's taking shape. We are we are talking about Babylon now. You know, long past is the stuff with Assyria and Sennacherib and all of that. This is very clearly dealing with the current situation that's in view, the exile in Babylon. And so we have this idea, um, this this big power, this seemingly universal evil that nothing can stop, and yet God can. And uh, the, the terms here in Isaiah 47, I mean, they're on the one hand, they're scary, you know, like consuming fire, um, something that like never, no one's ever seen before and something that just no one can know and no one can stop. But when that's fighting for you and that's fighting for God's people, that means that we're rescued from our enemies. So Isaiah 47 here, uh, a chapter of really just making it vivid what it means for God to be the victorious Savior who fights for us. And today, we're joined by one of our regular guests. We've got, again, Pastor John Lekumski, pastor in Southern Illinois, but today in the studio with us. Good morning, brother. How are you doing today? I am I am doing great. I'm, I'm just excited to do this chapter with you, although I tell you what, I looked ahead on the schedule and saw the chapter we're going to have together next, and it's a lot better than this chapter. <laughs> in fact, if you kept giving me chapters like this, AJ, I don't know. <laughs> don't, don't like all this talk about dust and fire and darkness, huh? Well, well, here's the problem. Like you said, this is a word addressed to the Babylonians. I don't think there's any Babylonians listening to us today well <laughs> maybe there are i don't know <laughs> oh, this is a, this is a good point yeah no it's true i mean like it is firmly rooted in the historical situation and uh, it's one of those things where if you don't really understand the story of what was going on you can kind of read this and have your eyes glaze over and say what does this have to do with me where's even babylon i can't even point to that on a map yeah yeah Although I think I think the thing that that uh, helped me with it is to realize, okay, so we don't have any Babylonians listening to us today, uh, uh, but you know the people listening to us today could be Babylonians. That could happen. It may have happened in the past. So it's perhaps good for us to listen and hear what the warning is, what made a Babylonian a Babylonian. And if we see that in our lives, God move us to repent and certainly God prevent us from becoming a Babylonian. Because it's pretty clear, I think, don't you, that what the problem was uh, with, with the Babylonians. And again, like I said, it, don't ever think it couldn't happen to us because it can and it maybe has. So... I think I think so, and I think it's something that you see. Uh, it's a move of interpretation that you see in the history of the church. I mean, like there it is in Revelation again and again. They're talking about Babylon, and yeah. if you're kind of yeah. reading it literally, you're like, "Hang on a second, hasn't Babylon been destroyed for like centuries?" When John's writing all this down, well, Babylon represents the the new enemy of the people of God that's in the form of the Roman Empire at the time, right? And it's it's something where this this power, you know, and we saw how earlier in Isaiah, um, those cosmic evil creatures of uh, Rahab and Leviathan were used to uh, to represent kind of the empires of the earth. Uh, these these cosmic powers of darkness they take different forms, and maybe yesterday it was Babylon, but today um, it 
takes on a new form. And there's always something, though, isn't there, in the life of the people of the God that wants to stop the gospel and persecute faith. And there there always will be a Babylon, won't there? There always will be. And so you got it, like you said, in Revelation, even as you're portraying the end uh, in, in ending events, no, there's still a Babylon. Although, see, that's the great thing, isn't it? I mean, that's the comforting thing. Babylons will be defeated. They'll be overcome. Uh, although I want to emphasize again, uh, what I like about this text is specifically tells it what was wrong with Babylon. Was it just that they were evil, wicked people? No, there's a reason why they're evil, wicked people. And we can fall into that ourselves. So that's why yes, we need to be heeding the warning now that it's spoken. Right. Uh, no, that, that, that's well said, lest we go and externalize this and say, oh, well, all the evil's out there. Yeah, and it's yeah. never in here, you know. So, yeah, very good. Well, let's go ahead and turn to reading today. Would you open us up with a prayer for us and for everyone listening? So, so Lord, we want to come and we want to hear these clear words of comfort. And yet, time and time again, when we come to your word, we hear these words of law and these words of accusation. Um, please, O oh Lord, do not cause us to close our ears to those words, but to take them, take them to heart, apply them to ourselves, repent where they apply to us, and, and seek your help and encouragement that we don't fall under these sins. Uh, because, O oh Lord, this is what prepares us then to hear the beautiful word of gospel of your love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ that we're also going to hear so, so clearly in this book of Isaiah. So that your uh, word will work whatever it should be, whether it be comfort or repentance, or maybe a combination of both, we pray your spirit in Jesus Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so let's go ahead and read the first little chunk here. Only 15 verses in Isaiah 47, but these are some of these longer verses, um, you know, and, and you can kind of see why it's working like that, you know, with an oracle of judgment like this. It, it's not one of those particularly happy meters, yeah, you know, no, so, <laughs> so, no. so the verses are kind of long and they have like multiple parts. This, this isn't one of those like quick up-tempo things. This is, this is one where, um, you kind of feel, you kind of feel the millstone around your neck, yes, um, yeah. as, as it's being described. So if we take only the first four verses, that's going to be plenty to talk about. And, and that's a great place. I, I was wondering whether you would stop there because I think the fourth verse is this really wonderful verse of comfort for all of the people that are listening right now. So that's a good place to, to stop, I think. All right, let's, let's go ahead then. First four verses here of Isaiah chapter 47. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind flour, put off your veil, strip off your robe, uncover your legs, pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered, and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. So, so you have some really, really uncomfortable, very graphic language about what's going to happen to Babylon, the, the great virgin. Uh, uh, in fact, in the next verse, she's referred to as being a queen, uh, and she's there on the throne. But no, that's not what's going to happen to a daughter of the Chaldeans. Uh, I have read a variety of interpretations of these words. Uh, certainly, she's not going to be the virgin queen anymore. She's either going to be a slave, because it was the slaves, it was the female slaves, 
that work the grindstone and and, and right. on the flower. Maybe she's going to be a prostitute. I'm not quite sure what to make of the nakedness being uncovered. Uh, you know, I have different varieties there. I heard one commenter said, "Well, that's just she's going to have to lift up her skirts to go through the water." I, I but it's not good. That's for sure. <laughs> Trust me. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. Thanks. Thanks for mentioning that. Those are some of the different ideas that come to mind, and and you're right to be thinking about those sorts of things. We talk about nakedness. Yeah. You know, nakedness is uh, an idea that's a theme that's used very deliberately in the Bible, and it's not always the way that we might think of nakedness in our own context. Uh, but I do think um, if I had to pick between the two options that you mentioned, I, I would myself go more towards the servant idea. I, I certainly you do elsewhere get this idea of the whore of Babylon, right? That's a term, yes, that yes. the kind of old school way of translating that term in Revelation, right? Yep. Um, referring to how uh, th- these these powers of evil, they are not faithful to God, but they 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 flirt with all kinds of different powers and alliances and there's no faithfulness in them they they betray on a moment's notice right so there is that sense um, elsewhere in scripture but i think here it seems to be pretty consistently the idea of no longer are you going to be kind of the dainty veiled princess right in royalty and you know like you're not going to you know be doing any hard labor because you know we need to make sure that you don't break any nails, you know, when we like, you know, have you set up with some royal dignitary, right? Like it's not that kind of, you know, princess image. No, take off the robe, take off the veil, time to go to the millstone and get some work done. So, yeah, it, it's this being demoted um, from princess to slave, kind of like a reverse Cinderella thing going on. I, I think that's what the nakedness is getting at. I, I love that. I love that image, of course, because princesses are a really big thing in our culture right now. <laughs> How many princesses does Disney have? Oh, man. Uh, uh, and now we got Frozen 2 coming out. Oh, man. Uh, but but oh, man. you're right. See, that's the thing. Whatever it was, she thought she held a position of honor. She thought she sat on the throne in control of everything. And we'll see that in detail in the following verses. But that ain't what it's going to be anymore. No, she's going to be brought down. She's going to be humbled. What a powerful thing. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. But the comforting thing is, it's not like God is being mean to be mean. All right? Right. That's what you have to understand. God is never mean to be mean. He doesn't have a mean bone in his body. But he's doing this because she is the oppressor of his beloved people. And, and we'll see that detailed in this chapter, too. In fact, she, she oppresses his people beyond what he wanted her to oppress them. So that's going to be the thing. He's going to come in. He's going to bring her down because he's the Redeemer, see? He's the yeah. Holy One of Israel. He's the one that's going to deliver us. So whatever evil you might be fighting right now, you, you need to know that God's going to overcome that evil. There is no terrible Babylon that exists in this world that God will not prevail with over the end. Although now in the next few verses, we're going to learn what, what made her Babylon. And I think that also will speak a word of warning to us because we could go down that same path and God help us that we don't. Right. You know, th- this verse four is is important to see there. I mean, it stands out really, too, because oh, yeah. it really it really breaks when you look at it. The first three verses, there's that long meter, that long kind of you know, condemning uh, you know pattern that we were seeing. But then all of a sudden in verse four, it's, it's, it's kind of like just a short, sweet verse that kind of interrupts the flow. It's not God speaking. Right. Because it's God speaking here. It's the voice yes. of God speaking to Babylon. Then all of a sudden in verse four, it's the voice of Israel. Right. Yeah. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name. Right. Um, just kind of piping up in the middle of all this. 
and, and that's and that's significant um, just because of what you were saying. You know, it, this is this is to show this isn't God just being like, well, I don't like Babylon because <laughs> I'm the God of Israel, and so yeah. uh, you know, it's like you know, it's just I don't. You can kind of imagine like schoolyard kids like, well, you know, we like our side, and don't we don't like yours, and it's just kind of like you know, trivial or um, something capricious or something like that. But it's it's because God is the Redeemer of Israel, and that's um. You know, we shouldn't skip over that. We haven't seen that idea in a little while. We talked about it way back when towards the end of Numbers. But that term, you know, go ale, that is the same term for the kinsman uh, avenger of blood. The idea that this is the person who takes revenge on um, on the people who have hurt his family to restore their honor and to restore their name. There's this idea that um, Babylon has done something to grievously wrong God's people, um, and so God's setting out to set things right. And and yet, AJ, and, and, and you hinted at this, I think the verses that follow are to avoid exactly what you said earlier. This is not, oh, we're the good guys, and, and that's battle evil Babylon. And that's, of course, why God came to our rescue and our Redeemer. Because I think in the next verses, we're going to find that, no, Babylon was actually God's instrument. Babylon was actually an instrument of discipline against Israel, because Israel was not what Israel should be. That's right. Uh, and, and there's always that danger that Israel could fall back into those same things. So, no, this isn't a thing where we boast over our enemies because we're so much better than they are, but it is a thing where we would turn to and put our faith in uh, the Lord of Israel, that's his name, the Holy One of Israel, the, the Redeemer. That's the one we put our hope in, the Redeemer. And he's going to do this even though we probably don't deserve him to do this, but he is going right. to, yeah. Yeah, that's that's well said. Yeah, it's not a gloating verse for it's yeah. just a, it's a short confident one but one that is uh, rightly humble as as you're saying in these next three verses they really show why so let's let's go ahead and read these here beginning with verse five it picks right back up into the voice of god continuing this this accusation and this condemnation here here it is verses five to seven sit in silence and go into darkness O daughter of the chaldeans for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the aged, you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. You said, I shall be mistress forever, so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. So, so see, that's the point, that, that it's not like, so you were sinful, Israel, and I had to call Babylon to come and discipline you for your sins. So it's not right. that it's. But then, then don't you get the sense in this AJ that Babylon went kind of beyond what God intended with this business yeah. about you show no mercy on the aged. You made your yoke exceedingly heavy. So I don't know it really was my. But but no, you did that, Babylon. Now you're going to have to answer for that. But right. Israel, remember that. Remember that. No, this was my instrument, and 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 if you've repented, you you know you deserve this really well. This is exactly. Right. What you should have had, because you're going to do the same thing that Babylon did, uh, as we'll see in the next verses. Uh, real yeah. quick, AJ, I just I had to throw this out because I think this business mm-hmm. about the aged. Uh, oh yeah, sure. I read across Deuteronomy 28. So think about this. This is uh, you know your 
timeline better than I do. Hundreds of years before, right? God's talking to Moses. Oh, right. He's talking to Moses now there at Mount Sinai, and this is what he says. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. I think Isaiah must have had that passage in mind when he talks about, you know, mm. you showed no mercy on the aged, you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. He's thinking, yeah, this is exactly what, what God told Moses was going to happen to his people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's true. I hadn't made that connection, but yeah, back way back in Deuteronomy, you had that, you know, that testimony of Moses saying, you know, here's, here's the covenant. If you break it, these are the curses, right? And the yeah. curses are terrible. I mean, and, and they're all, pretty much exactly what ends up happening. A uh, foreign power comes, the, 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 the land is laid waste to, and that's, hey, look, that's exactly what Isaiah is describing. It's the fulfillment of everything that Moses said would happen if, if Israel turned its back on, on God. And, and that's, you know, that's what you have here is the description. The, the thing that's interesting, as you said, is that it seems like whenever God uses one of these foreign nations to do his work, they always go too far and they get too cocky about it. Yep. And that's the same thing that we saw with the Assyrians, right? That, you know, God's oh, yeah. using the Assyrians. He's bringing them up. You know, the, he's the ax in his hand, right? But at some point, the ax is saying, you know, I, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm the ax and the woodsman, right? I'm the whole thing. I'm wielding myself. You know, there's nothing behind me. I'm, I am it. And it's just the same thing happened to the Assyrians. And, and God, he's swinging this ax. And at a certain point, he looks down at the ax and look, look at the way the ax is mouthing off to him. And he says, okay, I'm just going to throw you into the fire now. Like you're, you have exceeded your usefulness. And when you use that imagery, you realize how ridiculous that is, right? How yeah. can the axe possibly think it is also the axe man? But, but that's that's exactly what we'll see the Babylonians think, and of course that's the consequence. As soon as they go beyond what the, the handler of the axe wanted to do, well, I'm sorry, you're no longer even a good axe. Now we just need to destroy you yeah. as well. Um, yeah, and of well, course, and, and I'm thinking, you know, go, go ahead, you go ahead. No, no, well, I was going to say. I was going to say, you know, you, you were mentioning earlier, you know, like, so this is kind of what, what's so interesting about Isaiah 47, you know, all, all these chapters in Isaiah 40 something, right? They're all talking basically about the exile and the return from yeah. exile, but they each give us these different perspectives. And in Isaiah 47, you do get this interesting perspective on just, just how it is that Babylon went too far. And you were mentioning that, you know, that's a trap that we can fall into as well. And you think about it, how often do we in the U.S., have this idea of, well, you know what? There's really terrible things going on in the world, but we're going to swoop in and save the day. Like we're the agents of a higher power, right? Yes. Like we represent yes. a greater yeah. good, right? Like no no one else on earth can, can do this, but the United States, we are going to step in because, well, I mean, even, even if you're, you know, like a, you know, a staunch secularist, there's still something about the way that the language is invoking the holy, that yes. there's something holy or righteous about our cause. Like, even if you don't use those words, that's basically what's being said. And there's this idea that, okay, so here we are, and we're, we're coming in to save the day. But the question is, do we ever go too far when we, when we go and we roll in with all of, like, our, our power and might and our money, right? Do we ever sometimes go just a bit too far, get a little bit too arrogant, thinking that no problem— is beyond our reach and beyond our power. And uh, as a result, we actually end up making more of a mess 
um, than we maybe even fixed. I, I think that unless you, you have just a really uh, naive view of of temporal power, um, you have to admit, yeah, we we have gone too far. Actually, kind of a lot of times. And and is not not the pattern of every nation. Right. Yeah. You can see that in, in our history. You can see it in the history of England. You can certainly see it in the history of Germany. You yeah. see it probably now in the history of a lot of the Muslim states. You can see it in the history of China and the history of Russia. Uh, and, and in fact, so it might have an actual good start. Well, we see some evil and wickedness. We need to deal with this here. But like right. you said, then it goes beyond and it goes further. Uh, and, and, you know, see, this is a personal thing, too. We cannot simply do something and say, well, this is right. I'm doing what's right and what's just. Uh, as Christians, even when we do the just and right thing, it always has to be tempered with mercy. That's how yeah. God does things. He always tempers every every act that is an act of justice is always an act also tempered by his mercy. And that's how we have to act. Uh, that's how we should act as a, as, as a nation. I don't know if we can, but we certainly can as, as believers in Christ. And that's a really that's a really fine point. That this isn't you know I mean of course Isaiah is taking the perspective as someone who's in the king's court. You yes. know this is a guy who's actually advising you know a military and political leader, and so he has this sort of perspective. But you're right; it does take on um, a dimension that goes down to the individual and in daily life as well. That you know how often do we, in our own kind of figurative way, decide that okay, now you've crossed the line; it's time to go to war. Yeah. You know, and, oh. and, we're, and we are going to like bust out all the really nasty insults that we've been like saving up, you know, like <laughs> for a day like this. Right. Like now I'm going to really let them have it and unload, you know, this ammunition that I've got here. And, and, and so often we justify our cause and we say like, well, if I don't say this to them, no one's going to tell them. Right. Like yeah. no one. You, you can't just let this person go on treating people like this or saying things like that. Someone's got to put an end to this. Right. And uh, it, and it sounds really good on paper. But, man, if we go in there thinking that we're just going to solve everything with our angry justice, you know, how easily do we then slip into this loveless pride that makes us just Babylon as an individual? So there are times when you have to go to war. That's that's the situation. But but as Christians, we go to the war, not thinking that these are evil, wicked people that we must destroy completely, but rather we go to war seeking actually peace. Isn't that what we want? We just want the cruelty and the meanness that is coming from the enemies to stop. And we would like to be brethren again and, and be working together. But, but unfortunately, you're right. Sometimes we're just so wrapped up in our rightness that we feel like we can just go in and, and wipe the whole thing out and we will have done what is good. You know, God yeah. can do that. If he wants yeah. to do that, he can do that. But I don't think we have the 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 wisdom and and the no. uh, to 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 make those kind of decisions. So everything, yeah. people, even if you're in the right, please please execute your justice. And sometimes you have to execute justice. I'm thinking as a parent, sometimes you have to punish. That's all there is. Yeah. But may it always be tempered with mercy at the same time. Right. right. And, and I can't help but think of. Uh, Goodness, I can't help but think of the thing that's been kind of bouncing around for like a few weeks now. This whole OK Boomer thing oh, yeah, that's yeah. been that's been trending all over the place, right? Talk about you know on the aged, you have made your yoke exceedingly heavy. I mean, 
I, I mean, I think, I think, of course, in this context, it's talking about not showing mercy for a people and, and your mercilessness is so bad, yeah. right? That you just, you know, even children and, 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 the, and the elderly, you're going to like put into hard labor. Okay. Yeah. So yes, that, that's kind of the literal referent here, right? But generally speaking, that lack of respect for one's elders, you know, I mean, like how often do the, I mean, like how often do we younger people as millennials get into <laughs> yeah, our head? Fault, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, now, now there's, <laughs> there's the other end of it. <laughs> but yeah, no, how often do we millennials think like, oh my gosh, you know, the older people, like they just don't get it. And they're the ones who are responsible for all these problems. We have to clean up their mess. And then, you know, they get, that's where this whole attitude comes in. Like, okay, boomer, you know, like, why don't you just sit down and get out of the way? <laughs> Cause you're just in the way of progress. I mean, like, are, are we not doing the same thing? Like, where's the love in that? Where, where, where is, where's the Christian charity in that kind of, uh, of an attack? You know, I mean, like, is there nothing to be learned from the older generation? Yeah. They have their problems. Do we not think that we have our own, like that we could maybe learn from them to address and deal with? And, and I think that's exactly what this chapter is all about. So we know Babylon is evil. We can see it in what they've done. They are going to be punished. But you better really understand what it was that made them the way they were, lest you fall into that same era. And that's what's going to happen in these next verses. There's a very clear reason why Babylon uh, exceeded what they should have done, showed no mercy, uh, uh, you know, afflicted the aged and the young. There's a reason, and it's a real danger that happens to every even Christian. Christian. So, um, yeah. Yeah, let's go ahead. And um, our break's coming up. So let's just read the next two verses okay. for right now. Verses verse eight. Now, therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. All right, pause right there. We have to go into our break now, but when we get back, we'll we'll speak to okay, what what is this? You know, there there it is. Sorceries and enchantments. What are we talking about? And how does that apply again to our own situation? It does. So with those questions in mind, we'll take our break here on Thy Strong Word, looking at Isaiah chapter 47. Be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. 
I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. We're joined today by our guest, Pastor John Lekumski from Southern Illinois, with us in the studio looking at Isaiah chapter 47. This chapter that, like many here in this run after chapter 40, talking about the exile in Babylon, but this particular chapter giving us some real insight into what exactly went wrong with Babylon. They were the tool of God that he used to punish his people rightly, justly, but they went too far. And we just read these verses 8 and 9. And, you know, you, you had in verse 8 this idea, you know, um, maybe this arrogant kind of security, right? Um, and just being a little bit too... Um, you know, in, in your heart feeling like, oh, I'm invincible. Like there's, you know, there's no way anything can go wrong, that kind of hubris. And then at the very end, right, mentioning here, you know, all this calamity is going to befall you, even when you don't think it's possible, um, in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. What do you, what do you make of that, brother? So, so, so I, my, my opinion is what we have now are words of warning for us. Okay, I know it's being spoken to Babylon, but as you pointed out, these words are actually being addressed to the Israelite leadership, right? So, so here's warning number one: don't ever get secure. Don't ever think you got everything set up and everything made. Uh, that, that you want any problems? Like like the uh, the the rich fool, right? Ah, I got right. my barns, right? I, I'm right. set. Eat, drink, and be here. No, that's a very dangerous position to put yourself in to think that you are secure. Uh, uh, and in fact, the language here, I am and there is no one besides me. Right. That's, that's the language of God. That's what God says. We yep. can't say that. But that's what Babylon was saying. I'm I'm in absolute right. control. You know, I can. Right. So, so that's a danger. That's a real, real danger. I think that we all need to be aware of. None of us are secure. I don't care. I don't care how much money you got in the bank. None of us are secure. Uh, number two, the greater danger also, I don't the greater but an equal warning, is they trusted in their sorceries and the great power of their enchantments. Uh, of course, you go back to Daniel where we, we actually have some insights to what's going yep. on in Babylon. And So here's Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and mm -hmm. his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, who are also referenced in this chapter, be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. So, yeah, we got all these people. I, I don't know, AJ, who, who are our enchanters? <laughs> Did you contemplate that? Who are our enchanters and, and, and yeah. our sorcery that we're relying on today? Well, I... I, I have I have an answer, but I want to make sure I give like a really gigantic um, preamble kind <laughs> okay, of a little bit. That's fine. Because I because what you're I'm, saying, yeah. Because so, so the thing is, right? You, you got to so the, th the thing about sorcery and enchantments, right? I mean, that's something that is just sort of de facto bad in the in the yeah, Old Testament, exactly. right? God just says categorically, don't do this at all, right? Yeah. However. Um, in the case, and, and I'm glad that you brought up Daniel and Babylon there, you know, uh, Daniel was actually made like the, the chief sorcerer and magician, right? Yeah, like yeah. In, in Babylon, right? That was like his title. And of course, you're thinking to yourself, like, what on earth is going on? Why would a Hebrew ever accept that title? Well, the thing is, it wasn't like all, you know, necromancy and, and you know, this sort of divining stuff. I mean, uh, it was it was stuff like interpretations of dreams and just wisdom, you know, in the contemplation of uh, of you know of, of natural phenomena, things like that. So, I mean, there there was like a a layer of it that wasn't necessarily like bad all by itself, because it was just kind of their own way of looking at the world and trying to make sense of it, and with that wisdom 
trying to like make some kind of predictions or trying to say like, hey, this is this seems like a good idea. Now, can, can, having can said I, all, can I interrupt you for just a second? Because see, yeah, yeah. You're, you're right on. So, so the thing is, King Nebuchadnezzar calls all of these enchanters and sorcerers in, and of course, the point of the story is they don't have any idea. <laughs> right, that's right. So then he calls in Daniel, and the key thing about Daniel is Daniel says, "I don't have any idea, but I can tell you what the Lord knows." <laughs> right, <laughs> that's right. So right. say there right. it is. It's not me. I don't know, but the Lord has revealed some things to me, and. and that's the source of the wisdom. So just go ahead, go ahead. Right, right, right. Well, so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's not it's not as if trying to look at the natural world, right, like looking up yeah. at the sky and whatever else, and trying to figure out what's going on there and what makes it tick. It's not like that's wrong or bad. Um, it's exactly. it's bad when you, it's when you're getting all these pagan gods involved and you're doing human sacrifices and all the rest of it, right? The perversion that goes along with it. All too often. And, and so it, what do we have in our day that's the equivalent? Well, I think it's, I mean, I've kind of already set it up in a pretty obvious way at this point. It's science. Um, not that science is, I mean, de facto evil or no, anything like that. Certainly, that certainly not. It, 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 when it's confined to its purpose, it's an excellent gift from God. It's exactly. It goes beyond what purpose it's been given. Yeah. Right. It's when you get into these perversions of, I mean, and this is what we do. I mean, like I just mentioned human sacrifice, right? Unfortunately, in the sciences, we do human sacrifice in the United States. We, we literally have used um, lines that are made from like human like babies, and we use that like in science experiments. And that's something that happens today, you know, and this is something that, you know, it's been talked about kind of in, in recent months, um, you know, but it's something that's been going on for some time. And, and, and there's lots of other ways in which, we, we cross lines and it's not as if, you know, again, any of this proves that like, well, science is bad or like, oh, like, you know, we shouldn't be trying to like pursue all this wisdom and, and knowledge, you know, we're just going to get big heads and it's just evil. Like, no, it's not that, you know, remember Daniel was full of wisdom. Solomon yes. was full of wisdom. That wasn't like a bad thing. It, it's, it's when it crosses that line and we're going to say, you know what, we, this wisdom is really just all for us. And we are gods with all this power. We forget who, who gives the wisdom in the first place. And, and so the danger is that, so we reject it out of hand and say, well, that's just science. We can't, no, no, within its purpose, science is great. Trust me, what you and I are doing today, getting the word of God out all over the world in, in a moment, that's all the result of science. <laughs> right, if right. If we didn't have computers and the internet, but on the other hand, no, no, that can also be a source of great wickedness. And you have to be very, very conscious of that. Um, I was thinking of one of the ways this enters into the church is a lot of times we, we get these campaigns, right? Right now there's there's a lot of campaigns to have better—I'm uh, uh, not going to name the actual group, but there's—we're uh, we're, going to improve the church by improving people's uh, budgeting skills and economics. Mm, and and mm, again, mm. That, that's a good thing. People, you need to have a budget. You shouldn't overspend. It's a problem that afflicts the church. But see, the danger is thinking, oh, that'll solve everything. If we just— just got all of our finances under control, then everything will be better better in the church. Everything will be better in our yeah. families. Well, I, again, we probably should be really working on finances, but I don't think that's the problem in most marriages, yeah. for example. I think the problem is a lack of love, a lack of forgiveness, a lack of mercy. <laughs> Those are yeah. probably greater things, but, but you can't get that by science, and you can't get that by a training course. You can only yeah. get that through what you and I are doing now, which is the Word of God, yeah. Well, yeah, no, that, that, that's a really good point. I mean, and I'll— also, the other the other side of that, right, is is to then you know take take you know for instance these good budgeting practices, right, yeah, and then to like present it as if it's all 
the, the thing is like when you have these presentations that, Hey, look, this is like Bible based oh, budgeting, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. A, as if to say like the big takeaway from the Bible <laughs> is budgeting principles, right? Like, like God wants you to know things, you know, like Jesus and all this, right. But, but really he wants you to know how to manage your wealth, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, like as if like, that's really what's, what, what the heart of it is. And, 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 you know, so I think you, you just already hit the nail on the head though. I mean, it's just, it's a misplacement of, the priorities. And as long as we have the priority, right. You know, can, can we, can we have, can our church do like a budgeting workshop, like yes, for its members? Cause we think course. that that's a big need. Of course. Right. I mean, if we can give food to people, we can give budgeting like classes to people. Like we, we can address the real physical needs of people. Like we can do that. And yep. that includes the needs of knowledge. And we should, we should do that. Yeah. And we should, and we should, yeah. and we should, but, but it's when you get the priorities out of line and you think like, Oh, this is like you said, the silver bullet. And this is really the thing, the one thing, if we just had that, and that's, that's where idolatry sneaks in. Well, as the old joke goes, Jesus saves, but Moses invests. <laughs> So, oh man! No, that's not helpful. <laughs> oh man! That's not what we mean when we say Jesus uh, saves. Oh, okay. Uh, All right, sorry about that. Uh, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's a good, it's a good point, right? No, and so, so whether whether it is like the sciences or whether it is like you know our you know just like our our, our great. Um, you know, so the social sciences, which in, which includes yeah. economic theory or, or whatever it is, right? Um, or, you know, I mean, even there, there's things, I mean, even even theology is a, is a science in its own right, you know, like thinking that, oh, if we just have this particular approach to like reading the Bible or figuring this out, then that's going to solve everything too. Like it, it's, we can never lose sight that the only thing that's going to solve everything is actually the only person who is the one who truly and rightly says, I am, and there is no one besides me. The Can Lord I, of hosts uh, is his name. Let me tell you, just because I, I know we got many verses, just a real quick personal story. I majored, sure. I majored in sociology when I mm. was in college because I thought, well, that'll give me information that'll be helpful as a pastor. And again, it wasn't bad. In fact, probably the most helpful thing is to recognize that a lot of the stuff that is promoted in the church is actually just bad sociology. It claims uh. to be good sociology, but it's actually just bad sociology. But in terms yeah. of actually accomplishing anything, not so much. <laughs> no. Right. The, the, the Word of God, that is the thing that really will change people and change the church. Not bad to know some sociology either, but see, my, my trust was kind of misplaced there, and so I can speak from experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, pre and I appreciate you sharing that, though, because it's, tra it's a trap that we fall into. Yeah. Like, too often, as you were saying, you know, like, when you feel secure, when you feel set up, when uh, you feel like you got all the answers, look yeah out when when you find yourself saying those sorts of things and feeling that way because often it's not really actually a confidence in god as much as we think it is it's just the confidence in our own sorceries and enchantments that we've just labeled god on you know and yes. so it's really our our bad science or our bad history or our bad sociology or even like our bad economics or whatever and we've just called it god or theology or, or even the bible but that's i mean that that's just contorting god to the shape that we already have in our minds kind of like making a golden calf and saying here this is the shape of the true god this yes. is what yeah. he looks like absolutely so so yes definitely words in verses eight and nine that are a warning for us as well and not just babylon hundreds of years ago let's go ahead and then consider so in verses 10 and 11 then um 
And maybe I'll go ahead and read through 12 and 13 too, because they, they mentioned the enchantments and the sorceries again. So what's the result of all of this? And this is why God speaks into the situation to kind of turn it all on its head. So we'll take a look at these next four verses here, picking up in verse 10. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray, and you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. So we've got, we got the same thing we had before, this, this security in themselves. Uh, actually, I, I, I just occurred to me, this is really a neat passage. So they're secure because there's nobody watching them. There's no God. There's anybody right. overseeing anything. A again, you got that phrase, I am, and there is none besides me. No, I'm the one right. in control. I'm calling the shots, which that's a really dangerous position to put yourself in then. Uh, right. um, and, and again, it's a real danger for us that we really think that we have to be in control, that we need to be calling the shots. In fact, how often is that how we live our lives? We try to figure out what we need to do so we can be, be taking care of everything. And, and the realization is, no, you cannot take care of everything. There are things that are beyond your control. You are not the yeah. one, and, and there, there is someone beside you, and that's a good thing that there's someone beside you because yes. inside of that, you're just going to have the ruin. You're going to have the destruction, That's gonna, and there's no way you're going to avoid that. I love this right. phrase, you will not be able to atone. And I love yeah. that word atone, see, because that's the point. You're, you're trying to do things that you cannot do. There's only one who can bring atonement, and that is... Right. The Holy One of Israel, the Lord of Hosts, the Redeemer, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and using that traditional translation uh, as the word atone, I, I think is the, it's nice because it does, in our heads, we think of ourselves as, you know, as Lutherans, like, oh, hey, atonement, yeah, that, that's Jesus, right, justification. Um, but, you know, it is, um, to kind of put it in, in maybe like a more common plain expression, it, it's going to happen and you're not going to be able to make up for it. You're not going to be able to, you know, uh, what, what it says, not know how to charm away. You're not going to be able to talk your way out of this one, right? Like too often we, we just think to ourselves like, oh, well, if anything does come up, right? Like, oh, you know, I've got friends, I've got connections, I, you know, I've got, I've got a bank account, right? Like I'll be able to, you know, oh, I'll weather it. And like, oh, you know, like we, we, we have our ways of thinking, they're like, oh, we'll just be able to like work it all out ourselves because we always get ourselves out of these problems. Like, oh, you think this is a problem? Yeah, you should have seen how I got myself out of that one, right? <laughs> and, and we and we have this kind of self-reliance thing and we romanticize it in our own country, right? It's the whole oh, yeah. like pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? We exalt these stories of people seemingly saving themselves. But as it's just as you were saying, brother, you know, when you, when you say, you know, no one sees me, when, when you... Um, basically make the confession. I mean, like the, no one sees me. That's basically the creed of atheism, yes, right? Yes, that's um, right. And, and then you, what, what you're effectively doing though, is you're saying I am, and there is no one besides me. I mean, like the, the creed goes on when you say there is no God, you are in fact saying I am God. And which, which is a really scary thing because then the other side of that 
is as often as, you know, uh, particularly conservative Christians might want to say like, oh, the atheists and uh, it's because of the atheists. And we, you know, we go and talk about the atheists, right? Well, when we live, as you just said, as when we live our lives, like we're the ones in control and like, it's just really like, it's all about what I want to do and what are my goals and what are my hopes and you know, maybe Jesus can come and help me achieve some of them. Like, oh, maybe he can be like my sidekick or something, right? (laughs) When we live functionally like we are God, I mean, we're living like atheists. So so here's the thing. So, and, and it's so easy to fall into this as Christians. And I hope people realize this is a warning spoken to us. So you've got a problem. And of course, we know better than the atheists. We know we have to involve God. I love like what you said, as a sidekick. <laughs> Right? right. So here I got it laid out for you, God. Now you help in whatever way you can. But here's the solution. And once we do this, everything will be fine. When what really God is trying to say in our problems and trials is, if there's something to do, we'll do it. Right? We're called to love our neighbors, so you should do that. No one's denying that. But on the other hand, in terms of really solving these things, no, no, no. You cannot atone, like like you said. You're not going to appease this. You're not going to make up for this. No. But the Lord is, and the Lord really stands, and he, he, He's ready to do so. But what really tickles me about this, AJ, is because it's exactly the same thing I've learned in counseling. When you encounter someone who comes to you and says, look, I know what I need to do, and it's just a matter of me doing it, and God help me, and I'll all be right, I've learned that there's really not much I can say to them, because they've already made Mm. up their mind. So what I say to them is just what Isaiah says here. Well, you go ahead and try that. (laughs) Why don't you do that? Go to to your enchanters. Go to your sorcerers. See how that all works out for you, and then come back to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's... No, that's true. I mean, like, it, and that's a, that's a hard thing, you know, like, uh, I was just, I was talking with another pastor recently, and he was saying, you know, um, there's that, that parable of the, of the prodigal son, and um, the, the thing that we overlook sometimes is that, you know, as, as terrible, yes, as the prodigal son was, and that he basically is like, yeah, you know, I wish you were dead, and just give me my oh, inheritance yeah. now, yeah. and I have nothing to do with you. I just want your money. That's all you're good for. All of that, right? I mean, the crazy thing is, the, the the very first thing, right? The, the father lets his son go, Yep. right? Yep. He lets him do it. He says, you really want that? You really believe that? Okay, go. Just do it then, right? Just like you were saying. And it's like, it, on the one hand, it seems crazy that you would, that you know, well, why would God let us do that? Why would God like just let us get involved in all these terrible things and let these terrible things happen to us? But it's just as you said, sometimes the only way to make someone, you know, snap out of it and, and see the evil path that they're on, that they might come to repentance, is let them go down that fa- that path further. Uh, when, and when they start to realize, like, hang on a second, like, this is not nearly as good as I thought it was going to be. This is not working out the way that they promised in the brochures. That's when, finally, they can make a U-turn. But um, oftentimes, not a moment before that. And he came to himself and he said, even my father's servants are better than this. Right. And he returns. Yeah. So for frustrated parents out there, that might be some advice. Maybe there comes a point where you just say, okay, well, this is what you think is best. You do that. But the thing is, and now we're going back to the whole mercy thing. There are so many Christians that would say, well, if you're going to do that, that's it. I won't have anything to do with you. You're out of here. Get, get, they, they, they shun them or whatever term you want to use. 
That's not right. to show mercy. That, that's what the father there in that parable is. Sure, he lets the son do it because he knows he's not going to change the son. But when the son wants to come back, there is no hesitation, is there? He runs out to him as soon as he sees him. That's the mercy, see, because he could have said, well, you don't deserve to come back. You better show me you're really sorry before I show you any regard. But that's that's not the mercy uh, that, that God shows to us, nor should we show to one another. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's a, it's that justice that's tempered by by mercy, yeah. just like we were talking about earlier, right? And so, you know, as um, you know, as much as God is accusing Babylon of being too fanatical about applying justice without any mercy, here he is, and you know, he's 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 giving Babylon over to its own desires and to its own you know sorceries and enchantments justly, but it's not without. It's not without love. And I mean, and it's, so it's interesting because when you look at this historically, um, yeah, you know, Babylon, um, they are going to get wiped out pretty, pretty bad in the end, you know, and, and it's a lot of it has to do with just how they kind of like for basically all their history have been notorious for just being uh, lying, backstabbing, no good allies. <laughs> and if you try to ally with them, you will be their slave yep. eventually. And so uh, on the one hand, right, it seems like they just get w- just wiped off the face of the earth because it just it just has to happen. Yeah. Right. But even in those situations, which remind us, I think of, you know, we're going to read Joshua next in the new year in 2020. And there's going to be a few passages where God says, just wipe it all out, get rid of everything. Um, even in those moments where it seems like, oh, how, where's, where's any mercy in all of this? You know, I mean, it's like it's like a cancer. If you leave, but just a little part left of it, it's going to come back with a vengeance, and everything's going to be worse off. There are these lamentable situations where um, the most merciful thing for God to do is to cut out the tumor entirely, and to make sure that it's never going to come back and do any more harm or killing on the face of the earth. And the thing that we have to wrestle with, AJ, is that's what He's going to do to you and me. See, we may think now that we can work at it, we can get to be better, we'll improve ourselves, but as far as our flesh is concerned, nah, there's no reform in it. The only thing you can do is wipe it out, kill it, the wages of sin is death, and that doesn't bother me at all. That doesn't bother me, because see, I do know that he's my redeemer. So while he may wipe out that sinful flesh, I know he's got a new glorious body like unto his body that he's going to resurrect me in. But I think it's important for us to remember, that's, you can't, you can't improve evil. I'm sorry. You just got to destroy it, and that's going to happen to each of us individually. But what a wonderful promise we have in our Redeemer, that even though he's going to do that, we're still going to live and, and have these new bodies and these new lives that'll be exactly everything that they were supposed to be from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, and that's a, that's a really helpful reminder because, I mean, when we talk about, you know, the stuff in the abstract and we say like, oh, well, sometimes God has to just, you know, wipe it out. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a way of like kind of externalizing all this, but you're right. When we kind of turn it back around on ourselves and say, and that's why God has to wipe me out yeah. in the end of it all. I mean, that, that gives us a, I mean, wow, that just, that just puts a different perspective on it and it makes us very humble and, uh, we should be very hesitant to say that like, well, maybe the thing that God needs to do is to wipe it out because I mean, we're really kind of speaking our own death <laughs> sentence when we do that. <laughs> 
And and the thing is, though, in Jesus, that's not a bad thing. Lord, go ahead and wipe me out. Not right now. <laughs> I'd like to do a yeah. few more shows with AJ, but uh, uh, yeah. but that's okay. When that happens, it'll be all right. It'll be all right because God's going to restore me anyway. You know, and I just hope all my loved ones remember that too. But anyway, right. yeah, yeah, right. I'm driving my right. wife crazy because I'm 66, going to be 67, and I think a lot more about death, and it drives my wife crazy. <laughs> but no, that's okay. The Lord, my my days are in His hands, and He's a pretty good guy. I think it'll all work out all right. Yeah, yeah. Well, God, God bless our our wives and the people who who bear our burdens with us yeah. and uh, keep us sane because we we can pour out our souls to them, and they're really the faces of God to us. So. Thank God for them and bless them uh, that they don't lose their minds with us uh, <laughs> sometimes. Well, let's go ahead and read the last two verses. We did we did stop just short of the end here. Um, you know, there's, there's this idea of God giving Babylon over and say, okay, try that. See, see how it works out for you. Let's read the last two verses, and then we only have about a minute left here. Okay. You can kind of wrap us up and give us a concluding thought here. Last two verses here of Isaiah chapter 47. Behold. They are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this, no fire to sit before. Such to you are those with whom you have labored, who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. And, and as I begin the study, I pointed out what, what, I, what I don't like about this text is it's not talking to, to you or me or to the people we're talking to. And I think that is shown so clearly in this last verse. There is no one to save you, but but I hope everyone listening to us knows there is someone to save us. Uh, he is the Redeemer, and it is exactly what he has done, and it, what he is doing, and it is what he will do. Uh, and that's the great blessing we have. We know there is someone to save us, and by God, we do need to be saved, but we have that Jesus Christ, and uh, no matter what we're going through now, um, no matter how great the Babylons are that we are facing, maybe even some Babylons that we deserve, as did the children of Israel. They actually deserved a Babylon, didn't they? But that's right. okay. We, we have the one who will save us. So it just struck me, oh, that last verse really shows the contrast. Uh, but the difference is, see if you can save yourself, well, then you don't need someone to save you, do you? And again, right. we'll, we'll see how that works out. <laughs> that's right. You know, but that's right. But we have Jesus Christ, and well, besides Him, there is no one to save. Exactly. No, no other name under heaven. But we know Him, and so just like you said, even if we're wiped out, even if we're staring down Babylon, we know it's going to work out okay. Yeah. Yeah. We have Him. Amen. Well, thank you, John. Always a pleasure. Um, I think that you know, like like we were saying, just a it's it's a you know powerful and, and condemning chapter but it's one that really just at the end of the day makes us look to jesus all the more everybody this was isaiah chapter 47 with pastor john lekomsky from southern illinois we thank you for joining us today and we thank our underwriters at the lutheran heritage foundation lhfmissions.org until next time everybody i'm pastor aj espinosa peace you've been listening to thy strong word Produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.